Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is the man who founded Legacy Growth Partners, LLC, a private equity firm with investments in entertainment, manufacturing, and real estate. Legacy was documented in a case study by Harvard Business School for its real estate development work in Philadelphia. Uh, Our guest was a director for studio operations of MTV Animation for eight years. He held a similar position with Sesame Street for three years. He's the owner of the New York Streets, the latest entry into the National Arena League, the fastest-growing indoor football league. It is a pleasure to welcome Corey Galloway to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Corey. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great research on my background. Thank you. <laughs> we got more. We have more. Wait, wait. Before, you know, before we get into football, since you were part of Sesame Street, I don't know if yes. you've seen this, all right? And I, I don't know if a lot of our listeners have seen this, but, but Google Grover F-bomb. Um, oh. Have you seen this? I have not seen this. Okay, no. so it's similar to that Yanni thing where people hear different things. It's, oh, gotcha. Yeah, you, you got to listen to it. I, I, if you haven't seen it, then I guess I can't ask you about it, but it is absolutely <laughs> wild. All right. Oh, so this is not your first experience with arena football, as you operated the Harrisburg Stampede from 2012 to 2015, where you waited yep. in the, the facility negotiating, built out financial models, produced games from the floor, and handled merchandising. The Harrisburg yep. Stampede were a professional indoor football team that played in several different leagues over their history. The American mm-hmm. Indoor Football Association 2009-10, the Southern mm-hmm. Indoor Football League in 2011, American mm-hmm. Indoor Football in 2012 and 13, and the Professional mm-hmm. Indoor Football League in what became their final season of play until the team suspended operations December 30th, 2014. Given yep. that experience, what mm-hmm. made you want to get involved in arena football again? Well, the tie was an NFL player, right? Got you in the yeah. first place. What's that? Repeat that last part. Well, let's talk about how you got involved there in the first place, and then back in your arena oh, football. Yeah. You got tied in yeah, basically so, through an NFL player, Marcus yeah. Colston. Yeah, Marcus and I worked together for well, from his beginning of being in the league all the way until he retired. And basically, it was always trying to figure out, you know, and we work with athletes, kind of what do they do on their entrepreneur ventures. And so... He's from Harrisburg, and uh, he wanted to make sure he could do something back in Harrisburg. And we were very keen on making sure the investment was minimal, that worst-case scenario, we'll get an education out of it. Best-case scenario, we'll make some money. And there was a gentleman that was looking to sell the uh, Stampede at the time, and the original the way it originally started was Marcus had invested a small amount of money and became a partner. And then the following year, the owner was like, look, you know, I can't maintain this. Would you like to buy the entire team? And, you know, we looked at it, and Marcus was something really Marcus wanted to do. Like, yeah, you know what, let's do this. And that was our foray into the indoor football space. And, you know, we started with the farm show, um, with uh, the Harrisburg Farm Show. And we had our games there with, smell like cows and <laughs> like a farm show would, you know, and uh, it was unique um, process because we would lay out our own fields. We would hire the local prison workers who were like on their way out of prison into 
the world. And so they would come and work the nights, and I would supervise them. We'd lay down the field. Um, you only have about 10 guys working with me. And, you know, they like one of these overnight things. And then, you know, the van would come pick them up, take them back to the prison. But they enjoyed being out, buying pizza, hang out with them. So it was a great experience for those guys as well. And, you know, we learned, obviously, dealing with the business community and just looking for sponsors. And that was, you know, really hard in Harrisburg because it, don't have the wealth of businesses that they have in a lot of other metropolises. And I think that was the toughest part for us. It felt like we had a pretty good fan base, though. Just uh, not a lot to do in Harrisburg. So we probably we drew a nice crowd base. We didn't eh, our last season, we had like 4,000, 4,500. And we played at the Hershey Center. So it was good, but it wasn't great. <laughs> so, yeah. So now with the National Arena League, New York City is the location for their latest franchise, The Streets, which brings mm-hmm. the sport back here after nearly 10 years to the day that the Dragons became extinct. The Streets will mm-hmm. be the seventh team in the NAL. Uh, the Streets mm-hmm. made history as they became the first New York sports franchise to be owned by an African-American owner. And I have to give mm-hmm. you major props because I, I don't think I've ever heard any owner quote the Wu-Tang Clan in a presser. <laughs> um, but you, you stated that while it's great to be the first black sports owner in New York, it's even greater to have the legacy of being the first black sports owner. How much mm-hmm. additional pressure to succeed does that distinction bring? You know, I really didn't uh, understand it until working with some folks that's been working with me, and they pointed it out to me because I've always operated just as a, you know, investor, business manager, operator. And they said, hey, you know, you would be the first and only, you know, minority owner, African-American owner in New York City of a sports franchise. I was like, wow. And then after it hit the press, it just started you know, developing more momentum, more momentum. And then it, you know, just became starting people calling me and reaching out to me. Oh, wow, this is really historic. This is really historic. And now I understand, you know, the historic side of it. But originally it was just, you know, I just wanted to, I felt like the opportunity of arena football in New York City was a pretty good opportunity from an investment point of view. And also, you know, we have a, multi-strategy of what we're doing in far, as far as real estate development, um, we own a sports uh, recreation facility, and that complemented everything that we were doing. So it just made a lot of sense for us, even, you know, as a break-even, because we have such a, we have a facility that we just went into and we operate called PacPlex, 73,000 square feet. So felt like there was a lot of things that complemented what we were doing, and we we also felt like having an arena team, you know, we're headquarters in Brooklyn, and it was really something that the Brooklyn community can hang on to, even our games are played in Westchester. And it's just, it really captures really my essence because born and raised in Brooklyn, but I currently live in Westchester, so it's a little of both. And, and you you've, have... got, you've got most of your games being played in Westchester, but you supposed to be playing two games, I guess, at Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. Are you looking to go around to other arenas in the area also or to move more into Madison Square? Are you looking, for example, you talk about Brooklyn, looking to try and get a game at the Barclays or something like that? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, we, so we started this journey four years ago, and 
and you know we just could not get a business deal done with Barclays. You know, and I think um, one of the things you know um, what I've learned along the way uh, through this journey is when you look at an owner of a team, it's usually something that people can hold their hat on to on you know where's their source of capital coming from. And so, you know, we've had, um, Legacy has had one great partner, um, just a private family, and they've been excellent at being our source of capital and opportunities that we take advantage of. And we don't disclose that when we're having conversations. And we feel like through the conversations with Barclays, we just never got to that point because when you look at my background, you know, and you look at what we've been doing, it just a it just doesn't point to the billion-dollar exit out of a tech company. Well, we may be changing that in the next quarter or so, so I'm happy about that. But yeah. So we never, we just never got around to coming to a business agreement with Barclays or Nassau County, which is the same group. One of the, the visions you also have in playing those games at Madison Square Garden is you're, you've been in negotiations with them to maybe be part of a triple header where there would be a Ranger game, a Nick game, and an arena football game in the same day. Um, how far along have those negotiations gone, and why would that be so important to the success of the streets that it's something that you really want to get done? And piggybacking on that, in order to do the dual games, whether it be up at Westchester at Madison Square Garden, you guys have designed uh, a special um, surface that can be moved from arena to arena. I have to imagine that's pretty expensive. So why yeah. was it? <laughs> so why why the importance of being able to be able to move that surface from Westchester to the Garden? Mm-hmm. So the um, the conversation with the Garden, just um, to be clear on that aspect of it, it was more of their flexibility and. It was more of, hey, how do we figure this out if we can get you guys here? And it was more of, you know, them saying, and I don't think it's something that's um, realistic, but saying uh, probably a 20% chance of something like that happening. So it wasn't that important. Uh, It was just their ability to say, hey, you know, how can we work this out? Like their ability to figure out how to make games work has been phenomenal, right? And that's kind of just their extent of, you know, their professionalism and obviously getting the most out of that space is, you know, let's look at this thing every way possible. So that was really um, the conversation. It wasn't so much of it being that important. Um, But I can speak to the field. Now, the field, yeah, you're right. You know, that costs a pretty penny. And it's a customized field. We had to make specifically only for Westchester County with the ability to have the flexibility to go into the garden or any other mainstream arena. The unique size of Westchester County, we had to do a customized field. And so, yes, it's an investment that really it will be hard for us to figure out how to do anything with that field outside of use it at Westchester County because it's made for Westchester County. So what can you tell us about the level of play? In the National oh, Arena League, you know, wh- where do the yeah. players come from? Anybody people would have heard of. I think arena football really dating something. I think Arch Leister, <laughs> who couldn't make mm-hmm. it in the NFL, ended up playing arena football. A couple of I think some place kickers who were great mm-hmm. in college ended up 
playing in the arena football at least some years ago. What can you tell us about the, the type of players, where the players come from in the National League? Yeah, yeah this is, thank you so much for that question. So we're in player personnel meetings you know, every other day. And so our big board, we have a lot of Division One guys that are borderline, in our home, I'm just borderline, NFL guys just didn't make it, practice squad guys that, you know, didn't make it. Because really the opportunity in professional sports from the football side is either your NFL or your, you know, Arena League. Um, you go to the Canadian League, XFL, Canadian Football League, the new, the AAF League. Like, you know, it really, they really haven't, God, having gotten a place where players can feel like, all right, you know what, I'm going to the minor leagues, I'm playing triple-A ball, and I know, you know, my next move is MLB. Like, that, the game of football in the United States have not locked that down. And really, that is the level of player. And I tell my personnel guy, tell my coaches, we want the guys that are borderline NFL guys who just didn't make the cut and they're looking to perfect their craft. And that kind of goes into our facility, um, which we have brand-new field we put in there. Um, we have five swimming pools. These guys can do a lot of aquatic work. We have a full track. Everything that you need to do to perfect your craft is really our pitch compared to, you know, AFL, um, IFL, even my competitors within my league. We're the only team that has its own practice facility. And our practice facility is about you perfecting your craft. And that's really our selling point to the borderline NFL guys from a talent point of view. And we may, you know, to be straight with you guys, we may be slightly under the AFL salary um, number, but what we offer our players, no other team in the arena space can offer from a facilities perfecting your craft point of view. We feel like from the players that we've signed already, we've just had three guys signed today. Um, from a facility point of view, we don't see any other facility that can say to a player, 24, 25 year old, two years old, we're going to help you perfect your craft. You commit your time, you have the opportunity, you have the space, you have the resources to perfect your craft. And that's what that's the level of players that we're, you know, getting the emails from, you know, Instagram, social media, any players are just reaching out a lot. So the level of talent that we want to put on the field are that is that talent that is just below the fifty three man roster space. Now, I know the arena football had um, some contracts with ESPN for a while. That's where you could watch the games. Do you guys have any television um, contracts? Because uh, obviously that's a key to driving you know, people to your yeah. league. Yeah. Currently we don't. We're in negotiation with two you know, big companies, but obviously it's all local. Um, my goal from being in the space so long is you know, when you guys started in the beginning – you talk about Stampede going from league to league to league. It's, you know, it's feel like this space from a sector point of view is so fragmented. And the owners haven't figured out how do we bring this together as a collective like Al Davis did with the AFL and NFL. And, you know, that takes a lot of work. But 
the conversation we're having now is with the broadcast partners. If we offer you four leagues, AFL, NAL, IFL, CIFL, as similar to a college championship playoff, is that interesting to you? Because right now, we just, from a broadcast point of view, and obviously from my background, we don't have the, the bandwidth of teams to cover the entire country. No league does. Right. And that's really where, you know, the major broadcast opportunities come from. So now you're seeing uh, CBSN, um, I think they have the AAF deal with um, Chris Everson and Peter Thiel and those guys. And, you know, XFL obviously have a broadcaster, but, you know, we're looking at the arena space, which has been around for 30 some odd years, and it hasn't died. I mean, it's definitely not, you know, at its high point right now, but it's something that has been consistent over 30 years and say, hey, how do we put this together and make this the solid number two? And trust me, as a you know, guy that looks at different businesses across platforms, I'm happy being number two to the NFL. <laughs> so one, one of the attractions of What's arena that? football was that the season is during the spring and when the yeah. NFL is not operating. How right. concerned are you on a long-term basis about what Vince McMahon and the bringing the XFL back might do to a yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I think, you know, I'm a Game of Thrones fan. And so right. I feel like winter is coming <laughs> okay. for the arena team, like the, the arena's indoor football space. You guys got to understand, winter is coming. And so when you see someone like Vince McMahon putting out $500 million just to be back in this space, everyone knows. I think the joke is, Everyone knows there's no, no clear number two to the NFL, which is a multi-billion-dollar industry. And nowhere else in this world, in this country, can you operate a business that's that successful without, without having a solid number two. It's Avis, no hurts. You know, <laughs> Hilton without the Marriott. It's just not, from a capitalist point of view, it's just something that's never done. And that's where you see all these businesses, you know, XFL, AAF you know, different indoor football, arena football leagues kind of saying, hey, how do we capture this secondary market? And so I'm concerned with it, for sure, because I feel like um, the XFL, you know, you're going to put a lot of financial resources behind it. The thing I'd like to see is, are the viewer audience going to adapt to watching outdoor football in the spring and summer, and I don't know that answer. Um, I do know that arena football has been around for thirty some odd years, and I do know that you know you had owners like Dan Gilbert, Ted Leonis, you know, that are in the space. And so, you know, while I'm concerned with the XFL, I feel like we have to do everything we can to come together as a whole when it comes to indoor and arena football to really. Survive, you know, because I feel like the XFL is going to be a strong competition, AAF is going to be a strong competition, and but they're all outdoor football. You know, you you mentioned the NFL and no clear number two um, to it, no competitor. 
Uh, one of the things that also drives the NFL, obviously, is uh, in, in that space is fan duels and, and all the different fantasy football leagues mm-hmm. and the, the different betting that goes along with it. Um, is that something that uh, the NAL will be looking at as well? Yeah, we're looking at fantasy and also betting. And I know that um, AFL just did a deal on the betting side, and I know they've been looking at that space as well. So, yeah, I think it's a natural progression um, when it comes to sports that uh, a lot of leagues are going to go to. Know that um, AAF is doing it as well. I think they did a deal with MGM or something to that. Uh, finally, for those in our audience who have maybe never experienced an arena football game, whether it be on TV or at the actual arena, can you give them the elevator pitch as to why um, they've been missing at what they've been missing and why during spring when baseball is going on and, and they can be outdoors, why you know on a given Saturday or Sunday or a Thursday night they can go indoors and watch football? Yeah. So basically, the elevator pitch is people love football, and we know people love football four times more than they love. Baseball, basketball, or hockey. Well, I mean, one of the reasons people love football is because it's only for 17 weeks. And there's a desire to watch more football. So we like to offer fast-paced, eight-on-eight, high-scoring. What people love, which you've seen in the NFL now, is high-scoring, fast-paced games that are family-friendly. If you can touch and feel the players, you can be on the field with the players. And so it is that opportunity to watch live football with great talent and a family friendly. All right. We are looking forward to it. AJ and I will probably get out to a game once the roster is uh, set. Happy maybe you, maybe you guys Westchester. can give us a couple of guys uh, and we'll talk to your quarterback and your receiver and your running backs. Uh, something yeah. we definitely want to follow. Okay, great. Yeah, no, I'd love to have those guys on. Um, the quarterback's already set. Uh, we'll probably have our final roster at the middle of March um, after we wrap out training camp and get ready for the season. Where's the best place for people in our audience to find out more about the streets? Yeah, nystreetsfootball.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Corey. We appreciate your time tonight. Best of luck with the league. Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate it. You got it. Corey Galloway, the CEO of the New York Street.